Blog Talk Radio. Silvio Canto in Dallas, uh, Texas, on Monday, June the 5th. As we like to do on Mondays, we'll be chatting with our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Take a look at some of the stories of the week. Uh, we call it the week in, in review. One of the big stories, of course, is the age of the president, uh, who didn't just – it wasn't just that he fell last week. That can happen to, to anybody, it, but it's just the image that he's presenting of a man who maybe shouldn't uh, be uh, in the White House. You have uh, a great story that Bill wrote uh, this week about Vice President Harris and some of the challenges that she faces as a potential potential president. You have Trump and DeSantis. You've got a lot of stuff going on. So let me uh, let me begin by uh, greeting our good friend uh, Bill Katz. Bill, I think we're going to get some rain, but other than that, it's pretty uh, typical weather here in Texas. Uh, Bill. Well, uh, it's it's pretty typical of New York also. It's, it's, um, it was a little chilly over the weekend, uh, both politically and um, uh, meteorologically. Uh, what is really, I think, interesting to, uh, about what is happening right now is the kook vote is coming out uh, uh, in force. There are people who have begun to endorse uh, Robert Kennedy for president of the United States, a man who, to the best of my knowledge, never did anything to qualify himself for president of the United States. Uh, I see now uh, the major headline of the day that I'm sure will rock the nation from coast to coast, that Cornell West, a a formerly famous college professor from Harvard, African-American gentleman, has decided to run for president. I know this is going to uh, save the nation. Um, I, I think we're at the stage now that really the silly season. I was watching last night uh, t- with great pain uh, the um, CNN report on the uh, town hall where, where Nikki Haley uh, spoke. And for an hour, these guys sat around to discuss Nikki Haley. I happen to love Nikki Haley, but mm-hmm. there is no real, cha- no, no real chance there. And you kind of wondered what the whole purpose was. Uh, right. I do think that the, the point you made um, was very, very important. We're talking about, well, the polite term, is, as, as you used it, was the age of the president. Um, I'm not so sure, sure the number counts. It's, it's, it's what has right, happened right. to him. Uh, right. I mean, uh, you know, a, a much younger person could also develop a, a, an element. I think Americans are basically looking at their television screen and saying, in a nation of th- th- over 330 million people, is this the best we can do? Do we really want in office a man who is becoming mentally impaired? And I'm not a physician. Uh, uh, I don't claim to be one. I don't play one on TV. But you don't need a doctor's note to say there's something wrong there. And that something wrong shouldn't be wrong with a, with a candidate for president. Yeah. I, th- there's two things, Bill, I think about uh, what we're watching on, on TV. First of all, you're exactly correct has nothing to do with the age. When my my father was 89 when he passed away. When he was 80, he he was about as sharp as any 80-year-old could be. Uh so I mean he was very sharp and he walked uh, correctly. He wasn't of course as fast as he was when he was 50, but then who is? But certainly he looked a lot better than and I don't say this in a in a funny way, but he looked a lot better than Joe Biden uh looks uh uh, on TV, so I think you, I think you're right. I think it's the appearance. There's not so much the age, but I think there's another big factor, Bill. And you touched on this at Urgent Agenda. I believe it was your latest post about the vice president. I don't think there would be that many concerns about uh, the vice president or the president running for reelection if there was a sense of respect or support or a belief that uh, the person on the undeck circle step in 
and and run the country. I think that's what is really working, I believe, Bill. I'd like to get your opinion on this. But that is what I really think is working against President Biden, the fact that people look, uh, you know, they look at the, in the dugout and they go, you mean she's next? And I think there's a lot of concern, Bill. Um, I think you're absolutely right. And I think that concern is dominating a kind of subconversation. Uh, the feeling that Kamala Harris should not be president of the United States. And yet there's no way to really dump her uh, because of the, the, the trap that the Democratic Party has set for itself with its endorsement of identity politics. How do you tell a woman who is a female and a person of color you cannot be on the Democratic Party ticket because people just don't like you? I don't think they can. I think that if something would have to happen to uh, Biden, even something that doesn't knock him out of office immediately, he could just get worse in his um, uh, personal uh, behavior and his personal uh, uh, presentation to the public. I think that even if something like that that should happen, the the party would be frozen in place. I don't think, for example, if the president was obviously fading, that somebody on the Democratic Party uh, uh, executive roster, I don't think they could get up and say, well, we, we feel we should now have an open convention, uh, an open race for the nomination. Uh, let's go. I just don't think it, it can happen because of the uh, uh, question of identity politics. I think that's what bothers people. They feel that they as a public are not really involved in the choice of a president. And that's a terrible feeling to have. Uh, right. this, this all came as a result not only of identity politics, but of, on the Democratic Party side of something called the McGovern Rules that were mm -hmm. instituted in the early 1970. I mean, for goodness sake, <laughs> we're talking right. about, about uh, 50 some odd years ago to make That's the right. party more, dem de more democratic with a small d. It was a big mistake. A party has to be a political party. It has to run as a political party with an, an effective organization. You cannot wait around for primaries where every Tom, Dick, and Harry runs, gets 1% of the vote, and still gets airtime. Uh, and right. that, that's, that's there, too. I think many people look at the screen and they say, I mean, this is a country that in critical times produced a Roosevelt, produced a Truman, produced a Lincoln, um, produced a Kennedy, uh, produced a Reagan. Where are those people today? Right. No, I, th I think you're right. I think there's a... A great dissatisfaction in, in that respect. And then, uh, of course, the problems are, the, the, I guess, the biggest problem, the Demo not the biggest problem, one of the problems they have is that in order to support um, Joe Biden or President Biden, they're talking about changing their, their, uh, their primaries. It used to be New Hampshire was always first. And now they're saying they're not going to do New Hampshire first, I believe. I don't know whether they can actually get away with it, but that's what they're what they're saying, Robert F. Kennedy, I just saw a little video of Robert F. Kennedy talking about this, basically accusing the Democrat turning this into a Russia uh, election uh, system where you pick the, the leader. But I, I, I just, you know, if, if, by the way, you mentioned Robert F. Kennedy. I wanted to say a couple of things about him. Once in a while, he'll say something really smart, like when he, he talked about the border and how, you know, you have to have a secure border. I thought that was smart. But he's also getting on my nerves because it seems like this is a guy who's nothing but he's talking about one conspiracy after another. Yes. And now the, the assassination of his uncle, uh, the former president, now he's talking about eliminating the military. Uh, he says that, you know, that we should just eliminate the military and come home, Bill. Isn't that? Didn't we hear that? Who was it who said, come home, America? Somebody actually said that and got wiped out yes, George, in the presidential George election. Somebody actually said that. I, I don't know whether it was McGovern or whether it was, it was McGovern. Uh, McGovern, yeah. Come home, America. And, of course, what the hell does that mean, come home, America? Oh, we're going to close all these military bases and bring all those troops home? I mean, well, come yeah, on. We, that's, we, that's pretty stupid. <laughs> It's, it, it's amateur politics. Yes, George McGovern said that in the 1972 presidential election, basically to become 
what might be called an isolationist nation. If only we could just get out of Vietnam and come home, everything will be okay. Well, we got out of Vietnam and came home, and everything wasn't okay because the world saw a weak country, uh, and that doesn't, that doesn't do you much good. Yes, Robert Kennedy has uh, basically accused the people who run the Pentagon of being warmongers. They are not, uh, and he has also suggested uh, that uh, uh, President Kennedy, his uncle, uh, was killed by the CIA. I see no evidence that's been presented at all. You know, this is going to come up again and again during this campaign. The CIA killed uh, President Kennedy. Well, the CIA is a name on a plaque on an office door. I want to know the names of the people. If you can present me with real people, maybe I'll listen. But but this kind of sign of himself is crazy. There's something else he said that is astounding. Where he said he didn't think that Sirhan Sirhan killed his father. I mean, his father was killed in a public room surrounded by people who saw Sirhan Sirhan kill his father. Uh, He was tried in a court of law and convicted. Uh, The evidence is overwhelming, uh, both visual and and scientific. And he's saying, I don't don't think he killed my father. I mean, this man is dangerous. He's dangerous because a lot of people seem to think he's, well, he's a Kennedy. He must be okay. He's not okay. Like everybody else, you know, it's like the clock being right twice a day. Like everybody else, will come up with a reasonably good idea. But the idea of a man like being at the top of any ticket is laughable. Uh, now, it is interesting, I think, that if President Biden runs and decides to go for the nomination again, I don't think he'll have any problem defeating Robert Kennedy. But in this crazy age, you never know because they give a, a voice to a man like that. Um, who uh, uh, who they probably think uh, is going to be the reincarnation of John F. Kennedy, and you never know what could happen. Um, right. I mentioned the fact that that Cornell West is now running for president. The last time we saw Cornell West, he was uh, an increasingly eccentric college professor. Yeah, well, it, we are seeing some interesting people running, including this other lady who's on the Democrat uh, ballot who is apparently a poet. Or some kind of a healing doctor or something, Williams. Mar- Marianne Williams. Marianne yeah, Williams. Yeah. Who, uh, you know, and but here's the other thing. I just saw Robert F. Kennedy say something uh, that I think is pretty shocking. He said that after he, he literally said this, Bill, we were promised a peace dividend after the collapse of the Soviet Union. He says he said once the Berlin Wall came down, we were promised dividend. Uh, for, I don't remember that bill. Maybe you do, but I don't remember that. But I do remember, you know, people saying that we might have, you know, with uh, the collapse of the Soviet Union, that maybe uh, there might be more democracy in the old Soviet states or whatever. But I don't remember anybody saying, and of course, Bush was president when this happened, and he followed Reagan. I don't remember either one of those two men saying, okay, the Berlin Wall is down, so let's bring all the troops home, Bill. Do you remember that? I don't. No, there, it wasn't quite stated that way. There was a, kind of an understanding that when the Cold War was over, we would be able to reduce our military budget, which we did. Uh, we, we, we began to lag in the development of, of our military. And uh, the answer to that was, well, who, who, are we, who are we fighting now? Who are we fighting? We're not fighting anybody. Well, that peace dividend, first of all, ended and crashed down on September 11, 2001, with the attacks on the United States. And he thought of a peace dividend ended right there. So the peace dividend may have existed in our minds for about 11 years. Uh, and it also turned out that there were actions uh, all over the world that required our attention. Uh, even under the Clinton administration, we had engaged in some uh, military action against Iraq uh, to, to, to contain it. Uh, it was, I think, also the period when people began to notice a country called China and that it wasn't standing still. And uh, what, that there was no peace dividend there. So the peace dividend was kind of an illusion for uh, some 11 years or so. Nobody talks about it today, but people do talk about, and Robert Kennedy is one of them, reducing the military budget or, <laughs> and even proposing the end of the armed services uh, because uh, we, we've become a warmongering country, or at least the government has become a warmongering uh, uh, administration, and that we have to end it. He, there's no policy there. There's no judgment there. Uh, we are facing uh, problems all over the world, and he's talking about 
uh, the America that may have existed in 1925. Right. Well, when he talks about reducing the military, I maybe we should show him that video just in the last 24 hours of a Chinese ship and a U.S. Navy ship uh, getting pretty close to each other, wherever they got close to each other. Maybe we should show him that video just to show that, you know, we may talk a peace, uh, a peace dividend, but the enemies don't talk that way. I mean, the enemies, right. uh, you know, they keep, they don't, they don't do any dividends. In fact, they keep spending more. And I think one of the challenges that the next president is going to face is is a challenge that we may have to even go further into military spending to be able to keep up with China. China is developing an army at an amazing rate. They're building aircraft carriers, jets. I mean, who knows, maybe submarines. I have no idea what they're building, but I know they're building whatever they are, and they're not building a big army because they want to have a big parade, Bill. That's correct, and they are building all these other things. They're also building hypersonic missiles, capable of taking out our aircraft carriers and uh, and a lot of other things as well. We are facing a real military challenge from China. How will they apply that challenge? Well, the first thing you think of is Taiwan. Will they feel enough confidence to go after Taiwan uh, and uh, maybe, maybe sending a secret message to the United States saying, if you leave us alone, we won't go any further, which was Hitler's a strategy, by the way. Whenever he took something, he said, "Well, this is this is the last thing we we really right. want to do." Uh, and uh, there are plenty of Americans who will believe it. Plenty on college campuses who will believe it. Uh, we have a situation where I see today that uh, Saudi Arabia, which America has consistently counted on as an ally in the Middle East, uh, is welcoming the leader of Venezuela, uh, President Maduro. Uh, and it's not the first time they've done something like this. They seem to go out of their way, the Saudis do, to uh, stick to the United States and show show us how independent they are. Well, if we had a real foreign policy in the Middle East and a strong foreign policy in the Middle East, they wouldn't be doing these things. Right. But and peace, they're peace doing it to peace, Biden, peace, Bill. Yes. Oh, yes. No, I'm, yeah, no, I mean, they're, they're really sticking their finger or the, whatever they stick in Biden's face because it, they didn't do this to Trump. I'm not saying Trump was perfect, but they never did this to Trump. The other thing, Bill, no. and, and maybe you're going to mention this as well, uh, is the fact that they're talking about reducing oil production. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. It's not going to make American consumers very happy because when, when we decided to go green and cut our oil production, uh, well, this is what you get. If you have to depend on these countries for oil, this is what you get. You get fickle leadership and leadership that doesn't have American interest, and then you get higher price of gasoline, Bill. You get it at the pump, and you might get it at the pump right before the election. Right. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting that when you look at these foreign countries, you kind of wonder who they would like to see as president of the United States. And I don't hear the name Joe Biden mentioned very often. Uh, I think that many of them would actually prefer would actually prefer Trump as president because they know they will be dealing with a strong America and that they can be protected by a strong America. Uh, I don't, I, I, I can't imagine the name Kamala Harris being mentioned. No. I mean, I doubt if they're sitting around uh, uh, in Whitehall in Great Britain and saying, uh, well, the Americans will have a new queen. Her name is Kamala. Right. Uh, and, uh, no, I don't think they're saying that. I think they're looking no. at a very weak country and they're looking at a very weak American press. Uh, and I think many of these countries that we have counted on as allies are beginning to worry. They, they, you know, who, who is our ally and what will that ally do if we get into trouble? That's right. No, I think you're right. But I think this increase in or decrease in oil production is a real slap in the face, I think, of President Biden. I really oh, do. Yes. And, and I, the, you know, I, I think this is all going to be a big issue in, in 2024. But... Just another thing about Robert Kennedy, um, there's just something about him that is very strange. And I think yes. if, he were to, if he were to get into a debate uh, with, you know, some of the, these other, well, I think in a debate with a Republican, I think he would look bad. But with, with Democrats, um, you know, maybe Biden could make him look bad, sort of like the same way he debated Bernie Sanders back in, in 2020. But 
uh, there's something very strange about RFK because you mentioned that he's never run anything. This man has never run anything in his life. So he's no. going to go from being uh, obviously a guy with a good name or a famous name. What has he done? I mean, can somebody, do you know what he's done throughout his whole life, Bill? I mean, what profession, what does this guy do? I really don't know. I think he's a professional professional. You know, he's he's presented as a professional. He's a professional. He's a uh, a public figure. They use phrases like that, a major public figure. Uh, They'll maybe go back to Lincoln and say, well, what did Lincoln do to win the presidency? He, after all, had had been out of uh, office as a congressman for quite some number of years. And we'll have a discussion like that. I mean, the press is now so bought that they will endorse uh, a ham sandwich if it was running on the Democratic ticket. And I think right. you see that in, in uh, so much of the reporting of, of so much of the media, not all by any means, but, but so much of it. So I think there may be a call for new people to enter the race. Uh, I think that, that if we had a situation where Biden <clears throat> had to drop out and Kamala Harris became the nominee, and if the Republicans nominated Trump, uh, I think uh, uh, that uh, this may sound surprising, but I think Harris would give him a run for his money. I don't think it would be an automatic Trump victory. Uh, the, the, no. the press, the slanting of the press is so great. She's, she'll pick up momentum right there, and you can be sure she, her political advisors will script every uh, minute for her. And we could have a very strange, that strange situation, Trump against Harris and a Harris victory. And that frightens me. Yes. Let me uh, change the topic a little bit to the city of New York. I I happened to write a post a couple of days ago at the American Thinker uh, following up on an article that had come out. I think I sent you the article that the city of New York is losing millionaires like crazy. Uh, yes. They've lost, uh, I don't know how many millionaires over the last three or four years. And, of course, millionaires, as you know, pay a lot of taxes. And when you have a a city like New York that depends a great deal on on a very small percentage of the population to pay taxes, now you've got the state and the city having to deal with the reality that next year the the taxes are going to be a lot lower. What are they saying about that in New York City, Bill? Is anybody wondering how they're going to meet their bills? Uh, Because they've got to balance their books. I mean, they don't have the luxury of of, uh, borrowing money to pay their deficit bill. That's correct. Well, I think uh, New York City, to a certain extent, New York State, has become zombie town. People just walk around. They don't seem to be angry at the obvious deterioration of everything around them. Uh, I think the city, again, is is, is so overwhelmingly democratic. It's become like Portland. I mean, where where anything goes. Uh, the, the people of New York are, I think there are many who are angry. They do show up at uh, town meetings uh, held by some office holders. But I don't think that it has reached the point where they are ready to abandon their traditional democratic uh, alliances, especially for a man like Trump. So uh, you, when you say what is the opinion around New York, I'd have to see some very detailed public opinion polls done well to even begin to answer that question. The, the, yeah. It's become this great mass of nothing. Right. Well, no, I, I think you're right. I, I think the, you know, whoever the Democrat is is going to win New York. But, but I'm talking more about the financial reality of, of living in a, a state that has grown accustomed to taxing you know, a small percentage of people to finance its operations, and all of a sudden there's less of that small group bill. Oh, absolutely. Uh, people are leaving New York in droves, uh, and especially uh, more affluent people. Well, more affluent people are the people who have the money to move. Moving is not an inexpensive proposition. One of the factors here that has to be taken into consideration is that many of the affluent uh, working people of New York work for organizations where you can uh, work remotely, especially right, if right. they're star executives. And Wall Street is particularly an example of that. You can now do pretty much everything at home because of the modern computer. So uh, I think the, the, the incentive to leave New York has become very great on the part of these people. They can go to a beautiful state like Florida 
or Texas, so they if they can get uh, uh, their their company to agree to a remote uh, learning policy, they don't have to deal with heavy crime in the streets and uh, and the the aura around it, the just endless number it seems of, of businesses that are closing, and they can have a jolly good time. And I think that is what you're seeing now. And as you pointed out. The, the city of New York is approaching the point where it will not be able to pay its bills. And the only way you, you can get out of that is by figuring out some borrowing scheme, which uh, Wall Street may not agree to, or by simply uh, going into, into debt, into, into bankruptcy. That could happen. We just avoided a federal bankruptcy, but we didn't avoid a state bankruptcy. Of course, another thing they could do is go to the Congress and see if they could get the Congress to, to give them some money to live on. But yes, it is true. Now, uh, the, the big thing that has to be watched in New York right now is what Wall Street does. Wall Street provides a good part of the income that runs New York City. Now, there could be big firms that uh, will, will tell you we're going to reduce our number of people. We don't need them in a, in, a, in a headquarters there, and we'll do the best we can. Well, if they do that and the income gets cut for New York City, we're going to be in some mess. It came close to happening, yeah. remember, in the early 70s. And right, yeah. uh, when, when you know, the famous new, uh, headline, uh, uh, Ford to City Drop Dead. When the city right, ran right. into financial trouble and Ford wouldn't help them. But the city got out of it then because it, it had a cadre, a cadre of people who loved the city, who got together uh, under known the Max, Mac, the Mutual Assistance Corporation, and we were able to squeeze by. That may not happen this time. Well, I, I, I hope I mean I hope they can they can get themselves back on their feet because I mean we need New York, uh being New York. But when you all these people are leaving you gotta wonder uh, how the, how New York is going to make it, particularly Wall Street? How are they going to have the, the pay the taxes? Really, that's what it comes down to. It's not where they live. Oh yes, it's the taxes that that uh, that they uh, they're not paying. Bill, let's take a little break, and then when we come back, uh, we'll continue our conversation with our friend Bill Katz right after this. Uh, Silvio Canto in Dallas, Texas, with our good friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Urgent Agenda. Just a, a quick story, Bill, that you may have seen. What what happened in the Capitol? I'm trying to, try to figure out what in the world happened. I guess, apparently, some young people showed up and they wanted to sing the national anthem, and they were told yes. that it could offend somebody. Am, do, am I getting that uh, right, Bill? Yeah, well, yes, the Capitol Police uh, 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 confronted the group of singers who were part of an organized group uh, visiting the Capitol, as many do each day. And the organized group one, uh, started singing the Star Spangled Banner. Apparently this was you know, pre-planned and pre-rehearsed, and nobody objected to it. And they were told to stop, that, that um, it may not apply to all, etc., etc. They didn't want any disruptions. It is something that I think is another one of those steps that, symbolizes to the American people just how far down this country has come. And they indeed right. had, to, had, to, had, to, had to stop. Uh, it was a two-day story. Um, had it been um, uh, people of a favorite group who were going right. to sing the anthem of that favorite group, the Capitol right. Hill police would have chimed in. Uh, that's, that's what we're dealing with now. Right. I think it was the speaker, Speaker McCarthy, who stepped up and said, of course you can sing it. And uh, I believe he was the one who, who intervened and they were able to sing it. But it, you, I think you're right. I mean, stories like this, if you're the average guy watching the 530 national news or whatever news, you look at a story like this and you say, my gosh, is this the same country that I grew up in? This is crazy yeah, that... when, when you see stuff like this. And then, Bill, <laughs> on top of that, of course, all the other stories about the Dodgers and, uh, you know, stories about, 
schools. Target, yeah, Target. Target, yeah. You now have stories about schools celebrating Pride Week or whatever they call it. Uh, That's right. With drag queens. Uh, I, I don't really see the connection there. If you want to celebrate the sexual orientation of a group of people, that's fine with me. I don't have a problem with that. You can even have a parade. It doesn't really bother me. But when you're bringing up those drag queens into a school, somehow, Bill, I think you're crossing a line in my mind. I think you're right. And I think the issue here is that our vision as a nation uh, has always been equal rights, but not special rights for people. Right. Uh, that, that comes up all the time. Uh, the Civil Rights Movement under Dr. King never asked for special rights. It asked for equal rights. Well, now many of these groups, and by no means all, and by no means all members of a particular group, are asking for very special rights. Why in the world should anyone be permitted to put on a drag show in a school that is owned by the public? That's not equal right. rights, and it has nothing to do with the Constitution. It has to do with groups that are constantly demanding that we live their lives, or we live in awe of them, uh, that, uh, that uh, they are now in charge or would like to be in charge, and how dare you criticize us. Uh, and that's, that is what America sees. It sees not a striving for equal rights and economic growth and independence, uh, the kinds of things that Americans respect. It sees a drive instead for demanding that books, that sexualized children at an early age be put on school bookshelves, and then when parents object, the parents are called totalitarianism, uh, right, called right. totalitarians or domestic that's fascist, terrorists. Yeah. That's right, yeah, right. fascist, and that's what they're yeah, saying. Right. Sure. Right. No, and, and it, it, it's crazy because I, I was telling somebody over the weekend, you know, that we were talking about this, and I said, you know, really, I don't care. I'm on a personal basis. I, you know, I am Catholic and, and pretty conservative overall. But you know, if they want to have a march. In downtown Dallas, uh, celebrating Pride Month, uh, it's fine with me. It doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. I hope it doesn't rain. That's all I would say to to the march. I hope they can have their march and 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 present whatever you know, have whatever pride they want to have. But when you're talking about drag queens in front of school children, or when you're talking about you know coming up with these groups who target the Catholic Church, well, I have a problem with that. Now, now you're offending my religion. And I think if you offend my religion, you, I, I have the right to respond, Bill, as if somebody offended your religion. I think, you know, offending religion, the last time I checked, that's not really what we do in the United States, Bill. We respect religious freedom. That's exactly right. And that, that, that's exactly right. Um, yes, things, what, what these, many of these young revolutionaries want to do is to change the national vocabulary. Were a religious group, a, a, a respected and large religious group like the Catholic Church, is looked upon with suspicion instead of respect. And, they, and to, to a degree, they are succeeding because these uh, people include educators who teach young minds. And, of course, that's what they want. Uh, the Israelis call it salami tactics, one slice at a time uh, at our country, and they begin to affect it. And that's what we're seeing now. Uh, one slice at a time. Now, the, the, one of the most interesting things is that uh, some of the Target stores, I believe, now are going to have virtually all of their goods uh, behind glass panels, locked panels, where no matter what it is you want or want to inspect, you have to call over an employee and they have to open the panel for you. That is going to make shopping very, very difficult it's going to increase the payrolls of these uh, companies uh, because somebody has to be paid to open the, the, the panel. And it, it's going to change the image of the United States. Where the, I, I, I'm sure we're looking forward to a television story or a magazine story featuring empty shelves in the affluent United States of America. And yet people may be angry at Target, but they don't see the hand behind it. Right. Well, I just, as I said, I think it's all in your face, and, and that's what I think upsets people, and yes. is when this is in your face. I mean, it, uh, I don't care about the orientation. If, if people have that orientation, that's fine with me. I respect them. But don't, you know, don't give it back to me the way they're doing it, especially don't do it with, uh, with children. I think that really upsets uh, 
upsets a lot of people. Bill, I wanted to bring these little historical notes, uh, just quickly mention them, because there's three very big things on this day, not on this day in history, but over the next couple of days that are pretty significant, uh, and I'm sure that uh, you'll be writing something about it. Today, 2004, this is the day that President uh, Reagan passed away in 2004. Hard to believe it's 19 years ago, Bill. Yes. And I mentioned this because in, in, I think it was our last podcast, we mentioned that the country really needs a Reagan at this moment. Uh, it really, our next president, if, if he has any of Reagan's skills, he's going to be a good president. And it, it just reminds me of that today that we celebrate uh, well, the fact that he died 19 years ago. And also, Bill, what a tremendous funeral he had. The love and affection for Reagan was seen coast to coast, Bill, in, in that uh, incredible funeral. That's exactly right. Uh, the, he had that capacity to be loved by people who disagreed with him politically. It was Tip O'Neill, who was the Speaker of the House when Reagan was in the White House, who called him a beautiful man. Uh, I don't know how beautiful he was, but what he meant, obviously, was he's the kind of man you can deal with, the kind of man you can talk to, the kind of man who won't sit there and insult you. And I think Americans appreciated that combination of qualities uh, that, that contributed so much to making his presidency successful. And we really don't have that today. Today, politics is just so mean-spirited. Uh, and uh, people are afraid, really, to sit down with members of the other side because within their party, they have an extreme wing, as exists in the Democratic Party, that wants to dictate who the president can speak to. I don't think that's where we want to go. No, and, and you're, you're so right about how the politics has changed, because when Reagan was president in his first term, they had something called Blue Dog Democrats. Remember that? Oh, yeah, and, sure. Absolutely. And, and they were on the other side, so more liberal Republicans. OK, I mean, that's just the way it was. And it seemed like both sides had were not as, as driven by by extremes as they are right now and i think the rhetoric really suffers when everything is driven by by the by the extremes i mean i i I just don't know how you can govern a country where you know you can't talk frankly about problems bill because they call you a racist if you talk about how public schools are not uh performing well they immediately call you a racist or if you mention something about drag queens uh performing in front of children they call you homophobic bill Oh, absolutely. The, the, this is a new era of McCarthyism, and that is exactly what it is, and yet our historians in the universities are silent about it, which shows, once again, the continuing corruption of our universities. This is really what McCarthyism was. It was, it was really the destruction of people, the destruction of personal reputations, whether innocent or guilty, uh, the idea that you could not state uh, a left-wing idea without being called uh, uh, a, a, a traitor or a, um, uh, or a sympathizer. This is simply McCarthyism on the other side of the political spectrum. Today, most of the McCarthyism is coming from the left, not from the right, which is why we hear so little about it, because the press never wants its uh, ally in government to be presented in a bad light. But it is very much similar to the McCarthy era. Yeah. A couple of other things, too. Uh, tomorrow, of course, is the anniversary of D-Day. And that's, uh, I mean, there's very few survivors of D-Day, of course, just by the sheer time. Uh, I mean, that was, what, 70? That's going to be 79 years. So for uh, for somebody to, 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 to be around, it would have to be almost 100 years old, almost that's 95 right. years old. Uh, um, so, you know, that 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 uh i'm sure there will be some some ceremonies about about d-day and then of course the other big thing too is the battle of midway which was exactly 81 years ago today that was a battle that you know according to some experts that battle may have changed the war in the pacific bill uh it did change the war in the pacific the battle of midway was fought uh six months after pearl harbor and it is interesting that the man who planned the attack on pearl harbor Admiral Yamamoto had warned his government. He said, if you go through with this attack, I can give you six months of running around free in the Pacific. 
but I can't guarantee anything else after that. And that is exactly the uh, the prediction that came true. For six months, it was a Japanese war. They were taking islands. They were taking places. Uh, they were reinforcing their strength. Uh, they had the Philippines. Uh, uh, and it, it looked very grim for us. People today don't realize how close we came to being defeated, or at least to reach a situation where the Japanese were so overwhelmingly powerful that we would have to make some kind of an agreement with them. It never reached that point. The six months uh, uh, came, and uh, at that six-month period, uh, a small group of American ships uh, under the command of Raymond Spruance, fine admiral, uh, confronted the Japanese Navy at Midway, in the area of Midway Island. Uh, we believed, and I think it was an accurate belief, that the Japanese were coming to Midway in large uh, uh, numbers to set up a base on Midway with which they could attack Pearl Harbor by land. In other words, go, go in with land troops. Uh, and we fortunately won. It was a very, very close call at one point. Uh, the Japanese had more ships than we did, more aircraft carriers. Uh, these were combat veterans who had uh, fought before. And all we had is this little island with a group of patrol planes flying from it and a few combat planes. Uh, so the Navy, though, having gotten very good intelligence information from our terrific code breakers uh, who could deduced that Navy was going to be the next Japanese target, the Navy began to build up around the Navy, and a small group of American ships defeated the Japanese Navy. And yes, it did change the course of the war. From that point yeah. on, World War II in the Pacific was an American war. Yes, no, I, I think you're, you're right about that. It's a great story, Midway. Now, I don't know whether the movie that they had, I, for, I, I forgot about the movie, the Hollywood version of Midway. Do you remember that? Was it, was it a good yes. movie? Yes, the, there were several of them. There was one back in the 70s that told the story uh, perhaps a little bit more accurately. Then there was the more recent one uh, that was also good. Uh, the story is very well known, and it was really the story of a nation, ours, going to war with pilots who had never fought before, uh, with obsolete planes on our carriers, with only three carriers in the Pacific. The Japanese were sending to Midway six carriers, uh, and really in a very unprepared position, but because of their own spirit, and I think it had a lot to do with it, and Admiral Spruance's uh, great planning, they were able to turn the Japanese convoy back. Very inspiring story, uh, and uh, it's one that more young people should be familiar with, but unfortunately what they want to emphasize today in many of the schools is uh, that America is a flawed country. Well, that's not going right. to get you anywhere if you have to go to war. No, that's right, and, and I hope that Robert F. Kennedy Jr. learns about Midway if he wants to cut back military spending, because you got to be prepared for 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 things like the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. Obviously, the country wasn't, and we made it, but you always you don't want to run that risk uh, again. Uh, a couple of quick stories, Bill, that I wanted to touch on. You mentioned the media a couple of times. What is it with the media and Mrs. DeSantis? So all of a sudden. The media has been attacking this lady. Uh, you know, uh, have you? I don't get that. I don't get that. I mean, they're attacking her uh, because I guess she's too involved, has too many opinions. What do you make of that, Bill? The they, the media must bring down Casey DeSantis. They yes, cannot Casey, uh, allow name. Casey. Um, she's beautiful, as you know. I mean, nobody even denies that. She's quite glamorous. Uh, yes. And and a great asset to her husband. Uh, especially in the, the, the pictures that are taken of them together with their children, the, the, the press has a mission. We have to bring down Casey. It turns out that Casey is very active in the campaign. It also turns out that on a personal basis, she can be a bit abrasive, a bit dictatorial, uh, and they want to set, up, set her up, uh, the press does, as a kind of Lady Macbeth. And, yes. they, and <laughs> they'll succeed at it. 
You know, I mean, there's nobody who plays that part better, by the way, than Kamala Harris. She's known privately as something of a monster. Uh, and they're going to try to portray Casey DeSantis as the same way as the as the power behind the throne, who is also nasty to people. There may be some of that. There, there really may be. But it's, it's, it's a destruction campaign. You know, the old American style of build somebody up and then tear them down. But in politics, it's played in spades. And uh, and she is now under scrutiny. I don't know how long she can go without actually speaking to the public. Uh, and I'd imagine it's going to be a very tough interview. Yeah. Well, I, I, I think that also many probably don't like the fact that she is a very traditional uh, wife, mother type. That's the, who she yes. is. And she yes. plays that role uh, of the more traditional wife behind the husband. I mean, I don't know how involved she is but i remember when laura bush uh was in the white house that a, a a journalist one time said that laura bush was a perfect red state wife that's yes, what that's exactly how he called her absolutely a, a red state wife that somehow uh if you were campaigning in a red state that's who you wanted to see laura bush uh, behind george w and i kind of I, I had the same feeling here that they're going after her because, well, because of him, of course, but because she's very traditional, always with her children, always, you know, in the background. And, and uh, I don't know, maybe if she changed her position on abortion, maybe all of a sudden they would fall in love with her, Bill. Possibly. But right now they're not in love with her and they, they see her as a threat to their empire. Uh, I think the story of Casey DeSantis will grow. I don't think it will yes. diminish. It's not going to go away. She's simply too striking uh, not to be considered a, a factor in the campaign. And uh, look, the, all the guns are trained on DeSantis right now anyway. Uh, the press wants him out. They feel he's the only person who can take on Trump and, and, then, and then win the election. And uh, they, they would much prefer to have a, a sitting duck in the White House. And in the end, they may get him. I don't know. Uh, the, the DeSantis campaign... I think must be startled by the sheer amount of attacks on him, not only Casey DeSantis, but the governor himself, since he announced. I mean, it, it was a, a fairly quiet announcement, but the House came down. They're all after him right now. They're complaining of him of his being a, a, a fascist. He has to be a fascist, doesn't he, because he won't play the race card. Uh, they uh, are afraid that he will be a dictator because he has enough strength to uh, back up his decisions. And I think we have we have a, an opportunity now to get used to uh, what Democratic Party politics are like and what uh, what international uh, uh, politics are like. Um, it's going to get very rough. It's going to get extremely rough on the Republican side. Uh, Trump is pulling no punches, and now you'll see, as we've seen in the last week, McCantus, uh, <laughs> McCantus, uh, DeSantis is coming out of his shell. Very tough right. campaign. And, yeah, neither one of them is gonna is gonna pull any punches. That's for sure. But maybe, maybe what we need, Bill, is a primary debate between Melania Trump and Casey DeSantis. Yeah, sure. Maybe that's what we need to really settle this for once and for all, and say, okay, whose husband do you want? Let's put the two ladies here, and you you pick the husband based on on how they answer questions. I actually, from what I understand. Casey DeSantis was a journalist before she met uh, Ron she DeSantis. Was. She was. And she so, was uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. yeah, but I mean, a small town. But I wouldn't be surprised if she's pretty articulate in, in her way. Uh, not quiet like Melania Trump, but more more articulate, uh, uh, I guess, than, than Melania. But one last story, Bill, I wanted to bring up, and that is this whole thing with Joe Biden and this FBI memo that uh, the story, I, I really don't know what to make of this. I don't know if you have a, uh, a better reaction than I do, but I would like to know sometime between now and, two, and 2025, I would like to know if somebody explained to me how so many people in the Biden family became so wealthy, because to the best of my knowledge, they didn't build an electric car. They didn't invent any product or service that the American public wanted. So maybe they won the lottery. I don't know. But I would like to know how they got all so wealthy, Bill. I would love to know. 
I mean, I, I think here's a man who, like Lyndon Johnson, spent most of his career on a public payroll, and Lyndon Johnson wound up owning a radio station. Uh, I think everybody would like to know, apparently, at least the impression we get, and, and I, I stress the impression, is that he has been involved, in, the president has, in a number of business deals involving his son, um, Hunter Biden, and that he has profited handsomely. That is the accusation that is made. I think it is a, a, a subject that requires a major journalistic investigation, but a fair-minded one. And we'll never get the fair-minded uh, 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 investigation by the American press. They're too bought. They're too bought right. into the Democratic Party. Well, and and you know, and at the same time, you know, I I try to contain myself a little bit because um, I don't want to make the same mistake with Hunter Biden or the Biden family that the Democrats made with the Russia story, where they basically yes. went in. And and bought the whole story, and then we found out later that it was a lie. So I'm trying to to be fair about this, and I don't want to say that anything that something wrong has been done until there's evidence. But it is curious to me how a family can get so wealthy, and not just Hunter, but his brother, or I mean the president's brother. Heck, even the grandchildren, Bill. Are, are, oh, yes. are pretty wealthy people. I mean, so something, somebody was, uh, you know, something was going on here that doesn't add up. That, that's all I will say. Something, and maybe you're right. If we had a better media, the media would dwell into it. But I'm not expecting that either. No, and I, I don't think you have any reason to respect to uh, uh, expect it because look at the role of the media. Uh, we have known for some time that there were strange dealings going on with Hunter Biden. We have known for some time that President Biden seemed to have an enormous amount of money. Had a, I think he has, I believe he has a big mansion in Delaware, and that this has all been done on a public salary. And I do think the American people deserve answers. I don't think they're going to get them. Well, it didn't matter, I guess, when he was a, when he was a senator from Delaware. Uh, it, it didn't matter then. But I think it does matter now uh, as president of the United States. So I would like to get at least an answer to to that question. Maybe maybe there'll be a, a Woodward and Bernstein type of uh, reporting duo out there that takes on this challenge, Bill. I'm not holding my breath, but maybe, you know, I always like to be optimistic. Well, you know, when Joe Biden finally sells the White House to China and they move in, uh, 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 with uh, with their with their right. scientists and engineers to re to redesign the thing, we'll know we're in trouble. I think there will be signals that we're in trouble. But but no, uh, no but kidding aside, I mean, the, the people have a right to know where the president's income came from. Right. It's not a private right. matter. It is not a private matter. No, it's not. It's not a private, especially when you're talking about this kind of income. Uh, oh yeah. You know, I mean, you, I mean, every, I mean, you know, every president obviously is going to have. I mean, some. So I think the Bush family was pretty wealthy before they got to the White House. Obviously, Trump was. Obama is doing quite well, but I guess he's writing books, from what I I understand. So I mean, I don't yes. mind that they make money, but but in this case, it's so weird. Because of of the I don't know the way the way it's happened, uh, but anyway, we'll, we'll we'll wait for the media to do their job, which of course they are never going to do. Bill, as always, thank you so much for your time. It was a great honor, a great pleasure to have you, and uh, we just got a lot of stuff to talk about next week. Now, absolutely, plenty to talk about, and and it will grow over the months. I think so. Thank you for your time, Bill. Have a great week. Same to you, Sylvia. Bye-bye. Our friend uh, Bill Katz, the editor of Virgin Agenda. Another week with Bill. Always very interesting. Thank you for listening. This is Silvio Canto in Dallas.